It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, a bastion of benevolence in a belligerent world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, that old Dr. Bones, co-founder of the survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 1,200 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness. And I'm Nurse Amy, also known as Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the other founder of doomandbloom.net. That is true. (laughs) by the way, she's a purveyor of some of the highest quality medical kits on the planet at store.doomandbloom.net. Not to mention the goddess that's the hottest the hostess, that's a mostess. Amy is like asthma. Yes. That doesn't you, sound good. Well, it is good because you take my breath away. <laughs> <laughs> or as long as you can breathe afterwards, that's okay. <laughs> hey, we have a lot to say on this show, both conventionally and unconventionally. And we're going to go as far as we have to to make your family more, more medically self-reliant in times of trouble. But before we start, you better listen to this. All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, yes, but what about natural disasters? How about those wildfires? How about the pandemic? How about all the other storm clouds that are on the horizon? There's going to be a time when The election. Yeah, that's a storm cloud too. There may come a time when you're the highest medical resource left to your family, and our job is to make you effective in that role. We want you to keep it together even when everything else falls apart. Hey, today we're going to be talking to Leon Pantenberg, who's a good friend and author of the new book, Bushcraft Survival, a Common Sense Wilderness Survival Handbook. But today I want to talk first about the wildfires not just the wildfires we've talked about property defense and just wildfires in general Mm -hmm. but i want to talk about burns today for just a few minutes you know whether they they're caused by a forest fire or due to some accident while you're preparing food kitchen burned hello yeah (laughs) happens all the time i have some major scars from those look at that one you have one yeah yeah that that one's really bad you poor thing well anyhow that is a major challenge. Burns are a major challenge both on and off the grid. Injuries from burns that require medical help top a million every year in just the United States, and there are thousands of deaths reported. I totally believe that. That, And you should. It happens. It's true. I speaketh the truth. I even have a rice burn. Remember my boiled rice Rice. bag explosion? (laughs) I have little dots of scars on my wrist and forearm. That is the weirdest thing. All right. From now on, we're just ordering pizza. (laughs) I know. I've cooked every meal since, what was it, February 3rd? You or I, mostly me. (laughs) (laughs) No takeout for us. And notice how you... Well, you burned yourself a couple of times. But you never burned yourself when we used to order pizza. No. I'm just not... I wasn't used to cooking. Now I am. Well, there you go. I'm getting better. 
Well, all these numbers are burn wounds and death, burn deaths, all that kind of stuff. This stuff is alarming, and especially given the fact that in modern times, so few of us are exposed to fire as often or directly as our ancestors right. were, right? They had um, to make campfires and they had to do have a hearth running and all that. Yeah. I mean, who's used to cooking outside all the time on a fire that you've made with a grill or wood? I mean, it's... And have to keep up, have to keep that fire going. And flames are not always steady. No. Nope. Sometimes you can reach over and get something and then you get a burst of a flame. So, you know, even if you're the most seasoned outdoor cook, you could get burned. Well, let's talk a little bit about different types of burns. The American Burn Association's statistics show that 44% of burns come from flames, like mm -hmm. wildfire flames. 33, a full 33%, though, come from scalds that are caused by exposures to hot liquids, like what you've experienced a couple of times. Uh, and by the way, 50% of those kind of burns occur in children. Then there's, of course, 9% of which you're in direct content, contact rather, with a heat source, 4% are electrical burns, 3% are chemical burns, and then 7% are other non-specified cases. Of course, anybody who sustains a serious burn in normal times should be transferred to a hospital immediately, especially one with a dedicated burn unit. After a disaster, however, these facilities are going to be inaccessible or probably overwhelmed by a large number of casualties. Therefore, it's very important for the average citizen to know how to deal with burns in disaster settings. Off the grid, your risks are even going to be greater than in normal times, remember. Without power, you're going to be cooking over fires, like we mentioned, and that's going to be happening all the time. And so all those fire burn injuries, especially in small kids. You know how kids get so fascinated about fires. My gosh, it's just important for the medic to have a working knowledge of burns and their treatment. So the percentage of body surface area that's often used to determine the severity of injury is called the rule of nines. That's supposed to give you a rough estimate of the risks of, of death, let's say, or, or serious injury involved. Any burn covering more than the size of, say, let's say your palm is serious enough to be medically evaluated, I think, even if it's not so severe a burn. In survival settings, the general health, not to mention the work efficiency of group members already under stress, is going to be greatly impacted by things like this. So you definitely have to be sure to know how to determine about how bad a burn is. Normally, by the way, the palm area measure is used only for burns that are more than superficial, but you can have, of course, a sunburn over all your body just about and, and not necessarily require hospitalization or anything right. like that. But we're talking about second-degree burns or third-degree burns here, certainly. On or off the grid, we categorize burns by degrees, like I just said, and that's a measure that's related to the depth of penetration of the burn. The deeper the burn damage, the graver the consequences for the victim. First degree burns, they affect just the epidermis, the topmost layer of the skin. Now, a typical example would be, as I mentioned before, a sunburn. These burns appear red, they're usually warm and dry, painful to the touch, it could be very painful to the touch, and some people get some mild swelling with it. There's dry, dead skin that eventually starts causing itching and peels off after a period of time. Luckily, no scarring is expected with a first-degree burn. 
These are minor but extensive ones have to be watched closely because people do lose water from their bodies with these things. They can cause dehydration. And uh, in, if, in certain situations, uh, in the cold, if you're in a cold situation, one of the getting somehow a burn, it could cause actually hypothermia. Now, treating a first-degree burn would include cold water uh, soaks for about five to 10 minutes. Many make the mistake of just running cold water up with a burn part for only a few seconds and thinking, okay, that's it. And of course, you have to remember that this skin is traumatized. So traumatized skin is not helped by using ice. So try to avoid using ice, putting ice on a burn. Pain relievers like Advil or Tylenol, ibuprofen or acetaminophen, these are not a bad idea. That will be helpful for pain. After a day or so, luckily, the pain will subside for first-degree burns. Uh, anesthetic ointments, burn gels containing aloe vera, things like that, very good. Antihistamines will help with itching when they start peeling off. And in a week or so, you should pretty much should be fully recovered from a uh, first-degree burn. Now, second-degree burns, these are sometimes called partial thickness burns. They have actually affect the deep layer of the skin, and that's called the dermis. There's the epidermis, is the top layer. The dermis is the deep layer, and you'll see areas here that are painful swollen and rather than looking dry like a first degree burn they're going to look sort of moist the area is just going to have a tendency to weep this clear or even whitish fluid these injuries oftentimes have a number of blisters various sizes can occur and just depends on how deep the burn is now to treat a second degree burn that has to be quick it has to be intensive the faster treatment has begun the faster recovery will occur you want to run cool water on the burn for 15 minutes or longer. You, by the way, we have to make sure you quickly remove rings, bracelets, necklace, necklaces. These things will wind up causing tension and pain because of the swelling that occurs with this kind of burn. So if you have swelling on a finger, let's say you have a second degree burn on a finger and you have a ring on, it could easily get stuck and cause a great deal of pain. Bandaging the wound with non-stick dressings, that's not a bad idea. Telfa pads are a common brand that's T-E-L-F-A. You want to use the, you don't want to use cotton balls as dressings because they sort of slough off fibers that could increase the likelihood of infection. There are specialized burn dressings like Xeroform, uh, X-E-R-O-F-O-R-F-O-R-M. And these are uh, simple dressings that happen to be just sort of uh, impregnated with aloe vera or petroleum jelly and they're used uh, to protect the skin in burn in people that have burns uh, pain medicines of course as needed and sometimes it might not be a bad idea to apply an antibiotic cream to blisters to prevent infection by the way the blisters can be a lot but they should be broken only if they're very large or if it's clear that they would break during normal activity or in bed the popping of blisters can increase the risk of infection. So if you feel it's necessary, puncture with a sterilized needle at the base and leave the skin covering the raw area. So keeping the area protected from infectious organisms, that's important. Dressing should be changed pretty much every day. Most second degree burns heal in about two to three weeks without thick scars, thank goodness, but they may leave the skin somewhat darker than its original color. Then, of course, there are third-degree burns, a severe type of burn injury. Third-degree burns damage the full thickness of the skin, oftentimes deeper structures like nerves and blood vessels beneath the skin. 
Once the damage goes through the skin, you have lost your body's armor. Your body's armor is your skin. If you lose your skin or because it's burned through both the uh, superficial and the deep thickness of the skin, well, you've got problems because you're going to have the rapid loss of fluids, you're going to have dehydration, and you're going to lose body heat also. That sounds strange that a burn would have an issue being a lot the loss of body heat but indeed it is uh, third degree burns they can vary in appearance depending on the kind of burn that's incurred they can look white and waxy they can look charred brown they can be black in color the area may feel stiff or leathery so treating a third degree burn we want to start by following the steps for a second degree burn but long-term care is going to be much more complex the skin lost in an injury is normally replaced by new skin cells produced by the dermis. The dermis, however, has been destroyed in a third-degree burn, so skin can only grow from the edges of the wound. This not only takes more time than the patient has, but also results in thick scarring. Sometimes skin edges have dead tissue has to be cut away. We call that debridement, and that's important to allow living tissue behind the dead tissue to grow. In normal times, gaps left by extensive burns are treated by skin grafting. Skin graft is skin taken from an uninjured area and placed on the site of a burn. Skin taken from the injured area and or injured person is less likely to be rejected than if it's taken from another individual. Of course, the technology needed for skin graft, that's not going to be accessible off the grid. The best you might get is, let's say, uh, in a remote setting would be covering the area where the skin no longer exists with products like honey or aloe vera gel. A non-stick covering is applied for protection. You would need something like Celox hemostatic gauze when, when it's wet. It actually makes a very serviceable burn bandage. bandage. You may not know that. Uh, dressing major burns, however, can compromise blood flow as swelling occurs. As such, these wounds should not be wrapped all the way around and certainly not wrapped tightly, if at all. Uh, vigilance is absolutely necessary to keep that wound clean because infection is one of the main reasons these people died. Now you ex have to expect these wounds to take a long time to heal. Oftentimes the scarring it causes a contracture. A contracture is a condition where there's a deformity or loss of movement especially in a joint due to stiffening of muscles and other tissues which have been replaced the regular last sort of elastic skin has been replaced by this inelax inelastic scar tissue the result at the very least is a loss of range of motion now there are th some other kinds of burns that are considered to be even worse there's fourth degree burns and i think they go up to sixth degree in some people's cases a fourth degree burn was once just considered a severe case of third degree burns but this kind of burn extends down through the subcutaneous fat to affect muscle and bone. The tissue in this case appears dark, dry, crispy, actually looking, and it's often described as painless, and the reason why is because the nerve endings have been completely destroyed. These burns, however, often have second degree and first degree components at the periphery of the burns, at the borders of the burns, and those can be very, very painful. So even in the most advanced setting, treating these kind of burns is so complex that uh, oftentimes it will involve amputation of the affected limb. I mean, without a modern burn unit, the survival rate for this kind of stuff, third degree, fourth degree burns, covering any significant portion of the body is going to be very, very low. Even just the size of a cigar, the th uh, a burn as thickness of a cigar, 
may need a skin graft to prevent a contracture. So this is terrible stuff, not just because of the destruction of tissue, but the, also the inability to replace fluids rapidly in these patients who are losing fluids rapidly. And the high frequency of infection is going to be factors. So those are things that are important to know. There are common mistakes too that are uh, occur when you're treating burns. Not everyone knows what to do when a burn occurs. And there's always that panic that happens when somebody gets injured badly. Now, here are some common mistakes when treating burns. If you don't run cool water on the burn for a good period, good long period of time, I mean, just a few seconds under cool running water, that is not going to work. You need to do it for a while. Uh, You don't use ice on burnt skin. We talked about that. Uh, Also, you can't ignore burns in the airway. With smoke inhalation, even if a person wasn't particularly burned there, the airways may swell rapidly because of irritation from the smoke and cause breathing difficulties. And this kind of person would have, uh, let's say they would have severe coughing. They would have hoarseness. Uh, Their sputum actually may have black specks in it. And of course, they may have facial burns. And if they have facial burns, then it's very possible there are burns internally as well. Uh, With a second degree burn, you don't have to pop blisters unless they're very big. You should only intervene when they're very large or interfere with function in some way or would be breaking anyway because if they're on your back and you lay on your back to go to sleep when they're going to pop. Um, assuming a burn is less of an issue than it is, that I think is a mistake. Even a first degree burn, like an extensive sunburn, can be dangerous if you don't take steps to avoid further exposure and you have to make sure you keep up the level of hydration. Now, home remedies, make sure you don't use. Aloe vera is great, but don't use lard or butter. These substances are known to trap heat in and can cause a delay in healing. Other home remedies, like like I said, aloe vera, much more preferable. Now, burn care in an off-grid setting is very difficult, so it makes sense to do everything possible to prevent these kind of injuries. As your people may be performing activities of daily survival to which you're not accustomed, maybe the most important advice is to be certain they're wearing appropriate personal protection, things like gloves, masks, goggles, and footwear. Any burn injury prevented is one less headache and perhaps heartache for the medic. Some tips on prevention, never allow children to be unsupervised near a campfire or wherever food is being cooked or water boiled. Don't let kids play with matches or lighters. That's pretty basic. Apply sunscreen before you go out in the sun, not when you're out in the sun. You should have it applied 15 minutes before going out, and you have to reapply it frequently. You want to avoid cooking if you're impaired by exhaustion or if you have taken alcohol or drugs. Uh, You want to avoid uh, smoking inside your shelter or anywhere there's flammable materials. Maybe you shouldn't smoke at all. Keep firewood and other flammables away from buildings. We talked about that uh, just recently in our property defense discussion. If you have power, make sure that you are wary of space heaters because leave a good space between them and anything combustible. Uh, Get rid of appliances that have frayed electrical cords. Learn how to recognize gas leaks. Uh, Know how to use your fire extinguisher and have functioning smoke alarms. Last but not least, have a plan of action for a fire at your homestead. Practice drills so that family members will know exactly what to do. And that includes a method of communication and a place to meet in the event that you're separated from each other, like in these wildfires we're seeing in the American West. The risk for burn injury exists even in the best of times off the grid. 
they're a major challenge to a caregiver. So the ability to recognize and treat and prevent different degrees of burns is going to be an important skill for the medic in tough times. Hey, I mentioned we're, that we've invited our old friend Leon Pantenberg of Survival Common Sense to the show. Leon Pantenberg is a wilderness enthusiast. He's a journalist, also the author of the new book, Bushcraft Basics, A Common Sense Guide to Wilderness Survival. As an award-winning newspaper man for four decades covering stories about search and rescue and other things, he's seen his share of floods, forest fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, gosh, mudslides, everything. He's also reported on too many tragic outcomes from wilderness emergencies. It's unfortunate when people die unnecessarily from outdoor accidents and emergency situations when simple common sense actions can help. That's where Leon comes in. He teaches those common sense techniques to the average person in order to prevent these potential disasters. Now, Leon actually should know about these things. He has done so much wilderness stuff. It's incredible. He's complete. He completed a six-month, 2,600-mile solo Mississippi River canoe trip from the headwaters all the way up at Lake Itasca, Minnesota to the Gulf of Mexico, many other water voyages throughout rivers in the U.S., and also wilderness backpacking experience that is super extensive, extended solo trips through Yellowstone's backcountry, the John Muir, Muir Trail in California. I understand they're changing the name of that. And numerous other trips and again mostly in the american west i do want to say that we've had a couple of technical difficulties with the recording but i wanted to get the news out about leon's latest book so without further ado here's nurse amy with leon pentenberg hi leon welcome back to our show thank you it's great to be back oh i'm so happy to talk to you. you know it's pretty crazy in the world right now how are you out in oregon right now or i should say oregon right now what's going on out there well we have forest fires like you wouldn't believe they're probably the biggest in history that we know of uh there was a wind i don't know what you call it wind event where there was some serious uh 60 70 80 mile an hour winds blowing across the area and that fanned the fires which made them really bad it's uh it's looking really bad in many areas but we're okay here in central oregon because the wind is blowing away from us so uh we don't have any haze today fantastic now are you in any danger is there any point that you feel that you and your family have to evacuate if things shift a little bit at this point no because uh, we have a lot of desert between us and where the uh, fires are and you have to understand folks in in oregon we have many different microclimates and uh, one of them is desert which is where i live and the other is uh, along the coast which is very wet and then there's the mountains which are on fire so uh, we are probably in the safe area of Oregon right now. Well, that is a blessing, and I, I hope it remains that way for you. It sounds like you've got you know, some space between you and the severe area. Uh, let's talk about preparedness. You've been writing about preparedness and wilderness survival field for, gosh, over a decade now. How did you get <laughs> I know. It's been a, us too. We're like, I know. Kindred Souls from 2009. Um, how did you actually get interested in this field? Well, I've always been interested in uh, wilderness survival and backpacking and, and going outside and everything like that. And um, I've also always been a Boy Scout or Girl Scout volunteer. So back in 2001, 
I started teaching the uh, troop here in Bend uh, wilderness survival skills, and, and I wasn't the only one. There were several of us who would jump in there and teach this, that, or the other. And uh, one of the things that, that really concerned me back then was uh, all of a sudden these reality TV shows, and I'm putting quotes around reality, these TV <laughs> shows about survival came on, and, and I got to be very concerned because uh, the kids would come in, and one way to start the conversation was, uh, what did you see on TV? And I was hearing these horrible things. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And I'm going, where are they getting this? <laughs> and uh, so I would go home, and I would rant and rave to my wife and complain. The, the kicker was the time when one of these famous people, uh, he's standing there going, oh, I need to cross this lake. And so he dove in without checking the water depth. And that just set me off because uh, what's the number one cause of spinal cord injuries among kids? <laughs> anyway, uh, so I, I was ranting and raving, and my wife finally said, well, uh, put up or shut up. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I just set up a website for you. Uh, do what you're going to do. So I did, and uh, I started writing about it. And um, one of the things that totally amazed me was uh, I was going, well, why would anybody read what I've got? I, I'm not a survival expert. I'm just a newspaper guy. I'm an investigative reporter. Mm -hmm. And well, I found out that uh, the first week I was online, I was talking to people from all over the world. I'm going, why are they coming here? You know, I'm talking to Perth, Australia, for heaven's sake. And I figured the website would be for uh, Boy Scouts right. or parents or, or people who were interested, and there would be just you know a few, few here and there. And uh, it just went off like a rocket. And today... Survival Common Sense has been around 11 years. We've got 750 posts somewhere. Uh, the website has done very, very well, and our YouTube channel has over 8.5 million views. That's why I got into it. I just all of a sudden kind of fell into it because people liked what I write. That's wonderful. Well, you know, some people have gift being able to teach and educate um, and it's, it's not always an easy thing. I think uh, Joe and I have that way of speaking to someone, and it's, I believe that it's just a, a way to say, how would I want this explained to me? If I didn't know anything about the subject, how would I learn this best? And being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes instead of speaking over their head with terminology that they don't know, you, you go to basics. And I think that is a gift. And, Leon, we appreciate you speaking, putting those things out for so many years and keeping up the enthusiasm, because honestly, Leon, how many people have dropped off the radar since you and I started? Quite a few. <laughs> oh, oh, many. I, I read somewhere that the average length of a, a wilderness survival or, or something like that website is about 18 months. So uh, we are really and truly the old timers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, Joe and I are just as excited about it as you are, and I think that really comes through with the things that you write. I mean, I was just looking at your blog today, and you write frequently, and that is not an easy thing to do. You know, after, I guess, your, you know, what you, the statistic you said, that 18 months, people kind of forget what they should be talking about, or they just get to move on to some other you know, maybe this was just a hobby for them. Um, so to keep up the topics and keep writing about it, we do appreciate what you're putting out. Thank you very much for that. Well, let me let me give you a quick perk here. Uh, your book, Survival Medicine Handbook, <laughs> it's incredible. I have given away several of those simply Aww. because I looked at that and I said, this makes sense. <laughs> <I can understand laughs> this. It's just so simple. And, and that's the whole thing about, 
anything in, in this whole this whole preparedness field, people mm-hmm. sometimes make it harder than it is, and it's not. It's just common sense. Which is actually on my next question. Tell us exactly <laughs> uh, what what your definition of survival common sense really is. Well, the, the title came uh, after a session I was doing with some folks, and uh, we were teaching some very basic stuff, and the lady came up to me afterwards and said, survival is just common sense the way you talk about it. And I'm going, oh, there's the title. And so uh, that's where I went with it, realizing that you're going to, at some point, have to deal with an emergency. It may be a big one. It may be a small one. And so in order to help you deal with it correctly, you need to be prepared for it. And to be prepared for it, you need to have a plan. And that's all it amounts to. We're not talking rocket science here. Mm-hmm. We're talking wilderness survival science. And I agree with that. So most people who uh, are educators in survival have a list of their top skills. These are the first things that people need to, to learn, to get to know. Uh, what is your top five? Well, you know, when I, when I got that question this morning, I sat there and I went, well, where, it depends on where we are. And um, I would say that any of these survival skills. It starts with uh, establishing a survival mindset. A lot of folks, when they come to a a site like mine, they're going, okay, uh, so where do we do the twirling sticks to make fire? And that's that's way down the line uh, as far as what you want to be concerned with. But uh, establishing a survival mindset is what we kind of touched on. It's realizing that, okay, I'm in a bad situation. I need to do what I can do. And your very first step would be to look at your surroundings and say, okay, am I okay? If I'm not okay, what do I have to do to be okay? And you have to realize that uh, there's a pattern for any survival situation, and uh, you just have to jump in there and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and here are some of the steps I'm going to take. So anyway, uh, the number one skill for anything, as far as survival goes, is to just establish uh, what the situation is. What what do I need to know? And I'm going to give you the quick acronym that's in every book, that, and it should be because it's very useful. But the first thing you do when you have a survival situation is remember this acronym, STOP, S-T-O-P. And that just means stop, stop what you're doing, mm-hmm. think, observe the situation around you, make a plan to get out of it or to make the situation better, and then move on and do it. So that's your first skill. And then the next one, I was, I was kind of debating this one, but I decided that dressing correctly would mm-hmm. be the survival skill because uh, we all know, and you folks in the preparedness industry, especially, especially the medical folks, know that there's a lot of problems caused when people are they're not doing well outside because their clothing's bad. They have exactly. their own stuff. You know, you'll have hypothermia, you'll have hyperthermia. And uh, down there in Florida, you folks have an interesting situation because you have you have people who are uh, getting into, uh, they're not wearing their cotton shirts and they'll go out on the boats or something and they'll get really cold because they're not, they have no insulated value. I looked this up for you. According to the Florida's Office of Vital Statistics, there were 200 and 49 direct temperature-related deaths from 1979 through 1999 in the state. Now, this is based on the latest information when my book came out. Of these deaths, 125 were from excessive heat and 124 were from excessive cold. Hmm. So it's one of those situations where you have to dress for success, to mention a cliche, and um, you have to decide what before you go out, am I just going to grab a a cotton pullover, am I going to use my hoodie, which will get cold, or am I going to take wool, or what am I going to do? So 
dressing correctly. And then I moved down to another another skill, and that's making and uh, carrying a survival kit. And again, this survival kit is something that's going to be very unique and very personal. And I would recommend everybody make their own. So what I did in a couple of my posts was, how do you make a keychain survival kit, a pocket survival kit that would fit in like an Altoids tin? Uh, how do you make a bigger kit that you would carry with you? And then finally, what about that kit for your car? The idea is to have the tools you need when you need them. And that's going to result in you having a lot of stuff with you, but not necessarily bulky stuff that's hard to carry. And then, as we're moving along, I was going, what would be number four? And I decided it would be either fire making or shelter building. It would depend on the situation. Because, as we already discussed, um, the situation might require you get out of the rain. In that case, shelter would be more important. Uh, it could be that you need to build a fire to create warmth. Well, in that case, fire making is more important. But both of these kind of combine. And learning the skills for shelter building and fire making can save, save you in a lot of situations. So that's what I came up with this morning. I'll talk to you this afternoon. I may have another idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it does make sense that people evaluate, you know, where they live, where they're traveling to, what's the season. Mm -hmm. You know, in fall, sometimes a storm can come through. I think we've already had some snow not too far away from you, right? That's correct. That's correct. And uh, we've had some cold weather already up in the mountains. So it's one of those situations where your climate or your environment can change in a day, especially up here in the mountains. And it's still the summer, <laughs> officially. I think fall starts, yeah. what, the 21st or 22nd of September? I don't know. It depends on where yes. you live. I, think I, I believe fall starts the day before my daughter's birthday. Yes. <laughs> so we're still in summer, and, and people have snow. Uh, thankfully, snow did hit in some areas that had um, fires, so that, that, that is saving them from that. Um, let's, let's move on. We've got a crazy world here right now, a lot of terrible things. People can't leave their house. They can't have fun. Uh, so I want to talk about some adventure that you're involved in, uh, the, the wild adventure, Big River Wild Adventure, and also what can people learn while they're having fun on this trip? Okay, to start with, uh, the Big River Wild Adventures is based in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And we do guided canoe trips on the Big River. And the canoes are 30 foot long, and they are handcrafted wooden canoes like the old voyagers used to use. So what you get is there's an experienced person in the back who's called the captain. There's a person in front. And these two basically steer the canoe. The folks in the middle have to paddle. And that's how they get along, and that's how we get down the river. So the idea for this came uh, has been been in my mind for years. In 1980, I took a canoe from Lake Itasca, Minnesota, and floated it all the way down to Venice, Louisiana. I had such a good time. I enjoyed it very much, and I always wanted to get back to the river. And all along the river, I kept talking to folks who said, gosh, I'd like to do something like that, or boy, that'd be fun, or I wish there was a way to, to do something like what you do. So when I retired from teaching in 2017, I ran into Quapaw Canoe Company, which is based out of Clarksdale, and we came up with a partnership. So they supply the guiding expertise and all the equipment, and I teach the wilderness survival aspect. And your skills can be anything from rank beginners to folks who are experienced and just kind of want to have a cool trip. But the idea is to get out and enjoy 
nature to appreciate the fact that even when you live in the middle of the country, you are not that far from wilderness. And so when you get out on the Mississippi, uh, one of my favorite things is to be paddling out from the side tributary and watch the people's faces as they see that big river. <laughs> it is, it's, of course, I, I'm always doing that too. I get out there and go, wow, look where I am. Look what I'm doing. But the point would be, you have an opportunity to do a unique experience, not your standard uh, cruise or your standard uh, glamping trip, and you have a chance to do something that, that you can't do anywhere else on the America's biggest river. And we have a whole lot of folks who go with us, and there used to be more. The pandemic kind of shut us down for a while, but anyway, we're recovering. So that's, if, if someone's looking for an eco-vacation that's unique to the United States, uh, we can provide that. That is fantastic. How many days a trip, or can it vary? It depends on what you want to do. Uh, we tailor the trips to the person's needs. There's everything from, uh, as I looked on the books this morning, there's a 10-day trip on the books. There's an overnighter. And we take out Boy Scout troops and, uh, a lot. We would like to see more. And uh, some of these uh, scout troops have been going with us every year for several years. So we'll be taking out some folks from Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, sometime in November. And uh, then we'll see how it goes from there. This uh, pandemic, as I mentioned, has is, is kind of thrown a wrench in the works for a lot of things. More than we'll ever want to know, I'm oh, sure. It's oh. affected everyone's life, whether they know it or not. Some uh, crazy way. Um, you've had a YouTube channel for a really long time, and yeah, I think you've had a lot of success, Leon. Congratulations. And I want to know what you attribute that to. And also, tell me if you have some clips in your YouTube channel about this uh, Mississippi River adventure to give them a well, little more information about the, the boating trips? Well, the easiest thing to do is to go to a Quapaw Canoe Company and just go to their website. Mm -hmm. And you'll look up at the top, and you'll see on the far right it says Adventure. Click on that, and there I am. And it will tell you everything you need to know about the trip. We have a variety of prices uh, depending on a person's ability to pay. We take out school kids for free sometimes. We'll take out Boy Scout troops for whatever they can afford. And uh, we also take out folks who are just going, well, maybe I just want to take an afternoon trip. You know, how, what do I do there? How do I get there? And Pawpaw mm -hmm. Canoe Company can supply all the equipment you need, or you can kind of tailor your trip. For Boy Scout troops frequently, all they use us for is hauling around and uh, running the shuttle, and they bring all their own food and all their equipment. So... Uh, it's it's one of those things where you can kind of it, it's available to anybody. It's not the pricing is not out of line. So tell me a little bit more about your YouTube channel. My YouTube channel has uh, oh gosh, as of this morning, had eight million six hundred thousand something views on it, and uh, it has about two hundred and fifty posts. These range from how to make a uh, oh gosh, how to make a brick rocket stove to how to season a Dutch oven to how to make fire when uh, the snow is falling on top of you, and, and that sort of thing. I try to, the, the topics come from the readers, from the viewers, because people will look at something and say, hey, have you thought about doing a story on why my feet hurt when, my, <laughs> when I'm hiking? And <laughs> right. that's, what I, that's what I put up last week, because I got a direct <laughs> question on that. It was like, well, 
look, I'm going hiking. I have good boots. Why, why are my feet always hurting? And so I looked into it, and uh, that's where a couple of posts came from. So what you'll find when you go into my website is I probably have written something about a topic you're interested in. If not, contact me. It may be something that I need to write about. You have a contact form on the website. Yes, I do. Perfect. Perfect. And what's the name of the YouTube? Survival Common Sense. Awesome. <laughs> how did I know you were going to say that, Leon? <laughs> how, did, how would that have come up? Yeah, who would have guessed? <laughs> but, you know, we just got to put it out just in case. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Now, all of this information and research and life experience that you put together called Bushcraft Basics, a Common Sense mm -hmm. Wilderness, Wilderness Survival Handbook. How did that come about? What made you decide to put it all into a book? Well, actually, it was one of, another one of those things I keep falling into. Um, everybody who's in the uh, preparedness industry, and, and you can give me a rousing amen on this, I'm sure, every week I get somebody either wanting to write for me or wanting me to write for them, or, by the way, you need to write a book, and here's oh, yeah. my vanity publishing. So... I was approached last year by Skyhorse Publishing out of New York, and uh, they said, we'd like you to write a book for us, and I, I paid no attention to it. And then they uh, contacted me again and said, are you interested? And I paid no attention to that. And then I was talking with a friend of mine who's a, a novelist, and she's uh, actually pretty well known in some circles, and she said, you know, Skyhorse is not a vanity press. You need to check them out. So... Uh, Long story short, uh, I sent them a book uh, query, and they came back and said, yes, we'd like you to do this. And so I did, and it was published on May 19th. So it's uh, essentially it's a overview of the, the skills I teach either on the river or for scouts or in other situations. And I've tried to put a few things in there that aren't in some of the other survival books. One of them is choosing your clothing. I mean, you'll find a couple pages somewhere in every book where it says, you know, dress nicely, dress correctly, that sort of thing. I haven't found one that dealt as extensively with the survival mindset as I have. And then uh, there was another thing that was virtually ignored by most uh, survival books, and that's uh, Fear of the Dark. And what I found from uh, interviewing survival uh, search and rescue folks, that sort of thing, was... One of the big problems was people would get outside. They've never been in the dark. You know, it's like there's always been a street light. There's always been something. Right. And all of a sudden, it's dark. They're kind of lost, and they start to panic. So what I did was did a whole, situa uh, whole situation, and then uh, how to get out of it as far as you, you're lost, you're afraid of the dark. How are you going to overcome mm -hmm. your fear of the dark? And so that's one of those things that I'm not sure you'll find everywhere. The other is that uh, I dealt pretty extensively with um, making some survival kits that are practical. And the whole idea of this book is practical, practical knowledge. You know, you're not going to find, I'm not going to teach you how to twirl sticks and make, make fire. And uh, I'm not going to you know, suggest this is how you make a deadfall trap because many of these uh, Aboriginal skills are very valuable, but they're not necessarily something you can use in a standard survival situation. So that's some of the things that are in bushcraft basics. Now, is that what makes your book different from other survival manuals? I think it does. Uh, there are some excellent books on the market, and uh, I've seen a couple of them come out here in the last, uh, last few months. I think that's what makes it different. 
the other aspect is that uh, I'm a journalist by profession, and uh, without tooting my own horn, I've been I've been writing for 40 years. <laughs> so by now, I would think I have it down. And uh, my approach is always kind of like the guy down the street. I don't write like a Navy SEAL who's writing for other Navy SEALs, and I don't use acronyms, and I don't assume that everybody knows everything. Good, because we don't. Everyone has a different skill level. No matter how long you've been doing something, we can learn something every day, which we all should. <laughs> um, exactly. So you wrote the book. Uh, what other publication project do you have in your future? Well, that's a good question. Um, I have been uh, kicking around this idea for, for many years. Um, after I did the Mississippi River trip, I, I did it. It's kind of a. I wanted to write a book about the people of the Mississippi River, and I I did do that, and the book never got published. And then, uh, as I was thinking about it, I was kind of going, you know, I, I learned so many life lessons uh, just floating down the river, and I just wonder if those life lessons would apply to folks who may not be able to just take off for six months and, and float down a river. And what are some of the things you learn when you're out there paddling by yourself and you don't know anybody for 100 miles? And what are some of the things that, that you find you like about yourself or you don't like about yourself? You know, things like that. And so it would be more of a kind of a travelogue combined with uh, life lessons. And, uh, you know, what do you get from the people you run across? You know, if you're open for meeting new people, you can learn something from virtually everybody you run across. So that's kind of what I have in mind. I don't know. Uh, I don't have a publisher yet, and haven't thought about it that much. But that's I've wanted to do that for a long, long time. Well, you know, Leon, you don't have to have a publisher. We use Skyhorse for one of our books, but all, all of our other books. Well, I think we use Skyhorse for two books actually. Mm -hmm. um, but all of our other books, all self-published through Amazon KDP. So mm -hmm. they're excellent and helpful. Um, mm -hmm. I, they referred me to Outside Help or a cover for both mm -hmm. the antibiotic book and the pandemic book we did. Um, oh, wow. they, the, the outside person uh, helped to format the entire thing. We did do our own editing because some editors yeah. were way behind. Like, I, I don't want to wait. But you can do this on your own, and you can find Amazon is really, really helpful. KDP staff will, will talk to you anytime you need help. So do this on your own if you believe in it and it's a passion of yours. Great information. Thank you for that. Of course. Well, I, I would hate to see some amazing story and life lessons go by the wayside. It could help somebody even 50 or 100 years from now, Leon. If you just get it up there, it's gonna. It'll <laughs> long after me and Joe, they were gone from this world. Your books and your blog and your YouTube channel, as long as we still have the internet and electricity, will still be there for people who could never have met us because they were born after we were here. Um, but let's tell people how they can uh, find you uh, a little bit more again, review your, your website, your YouTube, okay. um, a Twitter, a Facebook page that people can find you, and then how maybe they can you know, get a hold of you and give you some ideas of more subjects to put out too. Oh, that would be great. Well, my website is called Survival Common Sense. My YouTube channel is called Survival Common Sense. And uh, my <laughs> Instagram is called Survival Common Sense. And I also have one for Big River Wild Adventures. And you can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty easy, Leon Pattenberg. Or you can find me on my Facebook pages, Big River Wild Adventures or Survival Common Sense. So virtually any way you need to get a hold of me, I'm available. 
and I love talking with people or visiting with people about ideas they have and things that, that concerns them and that I can possibly help them with. So I'm easy to get a hold of. I wish somebody would. Well, you know what? We need more people like you available to folks who want to learn a skill that, that they think mm -hmm. you know something about and they have some questions. Uh, mm -hmm. So guys, reach out and talk to Leon. Uh, visit his websites. Join his Facebook page. Watch some of his YouTube videos. Frankly, I think the YouTube videos are, are so awesome because you see the person who's talking to you. You see them demonstrate what they're talking about. And I think you can really learn a lot of things through uh, YouTube. Um, I hope YouTube lasts for a long time. If not, I hope something replaces it just as well. <laughs> Um, but, Leon, it has been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much on his website if you um, want to buy it from there, a signed copy. And you can get it on Amazon also. Again, that's Bushcraft Basics, a Common Sense Wilderness Survival Handbook. Definitely check that out. Um, yes. Leon, do you have anything extra you want to say that I didn't ask you or, or you want to just add? The only thing I would add would be I, I wish people would, would – pay more attention to the mental preparation of mm -hmm. survival and be less concerned about the gear because the your mindset is what's going to save you. And uh, to quote a good friend of mine, Peter Kummerfeld, your best survival tool is between your ears. And so you want to make sure you use your best survival tool. I absolutely 100% concur with you. Our biggest gear is between our ears. <laughs> yep, it is. All right, well, you have a beautiful evening, please, a beautiful day, beautiful month, mm -hmm. beautiful year. Mm -hmm. Stay safe. I hope the, the winds stay in your favor and all those fires die down so that no one else is hurt or injured or lose their, their homes and their businesses. There's a lot of sad things going on in the world, and um, we need some, some good news, folks. Leon, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, and you have a great week, too. Well, that's all the time we have for today's show. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Survival Medicine Podcast with Joe and Amy Alton and Leon Pattenberg. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.